0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you enjoy this podcast and the content we discuss, be sure to drop a like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, I wanted to cover a couple of different topics. Our first topic of discussion will be the NHL's uh, 2021 season plan, which sounds like it's very nearly uh, ready to go as far as approving a start date and and the length of the season, as well as what it likely means for the Jets, because Winnipeg will be one of the few teams that has a few different conditions still outstanding. I also wanted to talk a little bit about an interesting topic that came up in discussion from an athletic article hosted by uh, Murat Atesh about what exactly Neil Piong's value to this team might be and whether or not the Jets should really consider extending him. And then closing us out, we'll do a little bit more of our most creative playmaker series, which we've been doing over the past several episodes. So if you haven't heard any of those segments, be sure to check it out on previous episodes, but let's kick things off with a little bit of an update on the NHL's 2021 plans, which sound like the league and the players association have come to an agreement on January 13th as the start date with a couple of days prior for training camps and some of the non-players, Playoff teams will get uh, a few days extra as a supposedly compensation for not making the postseason. They get some more time to train, which I don't really know if that makes that much of a difference. But hey, I guess three or four extra days can be kind of important for conditioning. But the rumored length of the season is going to be 56 games, which is decent. I would say it's got a couple of weeks uh, going for it, you know, a couple months here. It'll be a fairly abbreviated schedule given the fact that, you know, obviously they're starting much later than they're used to. uh, A couple of months difference between October and January. So uh, obviously you do need to shorten the season. And with COVID continuing to be a concern, I'm sure the league wants to minimize operational costs to a point. So we will have a season starting January 13th and a little bit earlier for training camps. What doesn't really have an answer or resolution yet is the thing that I talked about in a previous episode, and it's the agreement for dealing with Canada's provincial uh, public health departments. As far as that is concerned, Canada does appear to have most of the provinces in agreement with how things would operate, and what it sounds like is that they want the teams to play in their host arenas, which is a little bit different than doing like a regular bubble. Supposedly, one province is still in contention with the plan, which I think is actually not that bad of an idea. I I think that the idea of playing in home stadiums does present a risk because obviously all of the Canadian teams are going to have to travel from province to province, which to me, if they're not, you know... Quarantining like you would expect traveling from state to state or across country lines if you're moving from Canada to the U.S., then I'm just a little bit wondering what exactly the process is for ensuring that everyone stays fit and healthy throughout the entire process. I'm sure that there's a plan in place of some sort, but again, this is also a league that doesn't really seem to have firm plans set in stone, so... I think it's fair to call it into question. I'm sure that the province that's still not fully on board probably has a number of concerns about the, the particulars of this plan and the fact that it's only coming into so-called fruition over the past couple of weeks. And I think that that is a bigger concern for teams that are trying to plan ahead and certainly for public health organizations that need to adapt and try and figure out if this team and any of its staff pose a risk to themselves or anyone else. For the Jets, things are going to get a little bit weird, I'm sure, because they have players who are returning to Winnipeg slowly... Patrick Lani, it sounds like, has finally arrived back in the peg and is doing a two-week quarantine before they start the training camp sessions. I also wonder if, in fact, the U.S. is going to be involved at all. I I don't know if the league is planning to do just Canadian teams versus Canadian teams or if the Canadian division will, in fact, play against U.S.-based teams. I'm pretty sure that's not really going to be a thing, but if it happens in the postseason, what exactly is the plan for getting teams across the border? Maybe they're hoping everyone's vaccinated by then and things will kind of move smoothly, but the lack of a discussion around bubbles definitely indicates to me that the league is trying to avoid doing that because of how expensive and difficult that process was the last time, and they don't really have a whole lot of time to get things back underway. The season's basically less than a month away, and I think for a lot of teams and a lot of parts of the NHL, I'm sure that's a pretty scary prospect, especially since they haven't really put anything in particular together. That would suggest they're well on their way to getting this season underway. I think the plans are, for the most part, there, but if they haven't even started operational uh, planning or any sort of execution, I don't know, I just don't really get great feelings about all of this. It feels like they're trying to throw things together at the last minute, and knowing how this league can be at times... I do wonder if that's going to end up biting them in the butt. We saw that the MLB and the NFL haven't really approached the process all that well. The NHL, crazy enough, was the one that did the bubble and isolation processes the best during the postseason last year so. Or I guess last season, not really last year, just happened a few months ago, even though it feels like it's been much longer. But, you know, I think the situations have changed. I think that COVID has certainly gotten worse, and I think it's more important now to have an actual bubble of a sort, but... I don't really know if the league is going to go that route, especially during the regular season. For the Jets, this could mean that they do have to have some weird travel arrangements, and I think all of the players are, to a point, going to have to be flexible. I don't really know how the schedule is going to work. They haven't even announced any sort of scheduling details. So a lot of it is kind of left up to speculation, but given the 56-game season, I imagine that, to some degree, traveling is going to be a little bit more limited than it was in the past, and I'm sure moving between provinces, if they do a Canadian-only division that only plays in Canada, Canada should to a point limit at least some of the risk of infection or spreading, but obviously that's not going to be foolproof because Canada has plenty of outbreak centers and I'm sure the league is trying to work around that and figure out the best way to keep all of the players and staff safe. The one thing that does again bother me a little bit is that a lot of the NHLers are going to have vaccinations before a lot of other people and I'm I'm not really comfortable with that. It's important obviously to protect the players and the staff, but there are plenty of people on the front lines who may not be able to get the vaccinations earlier. So for me the season I just wouldn't mind having it pushed back a couple of weeks. I'm sure it's going to be fine whatever day they started on, but I think for my own uh, I guess personal feelings about the whole situation. I wouldn't mind if they gave it some time and allowed some other people to get vaccinated first and actually put together more cohesive plans. They have a lot of work to do to ensure operational security, and it's not like we haven't all been sitting around waiting for hockey to return for a long time. I mean, we've already gone through the process of waiting. I think like two or three weeks extra really wouldn't kill us. Anything to ensure that all of the people who need the vaccines and all of the staff and stuff are protected adequately, I think that that would be, for me at least, a little bit more reassuring. As it is, though, it's going to be a very busy schedule, and I'm sure the Jets are going to have a lot of work to do, so in just a couple of weeks, we'll have a return to the season, and when we do, of course, you'll get daily coverage resuming. I'm sure it's going to be a very chaotic time, and we'll see how the Jets handle it. Hopefully, you know, gold stars for everyone, but... I'm not really expecting a whole lot for this upcoming season. We will start to know in just a few weeks how Winnipeg plans to approach it, and and hopefully we'll get a look at some of the lineups and whether or not Patrick Laine finally gets really good line mates, or if we're going to be back to another season of frustration. Speaking of looking ahead to next season, it was a, a bit of a topic on Twitter since The Athletic put out the article about Neil Pionk and his value to this team. I thought it generated some very interesting discussion, and in just a little bit, I wanted to talk about what Pionk brings to this team, and whether or not he should be somebody that that we consider for a, a longer term fixture and stay as part of this team. Before then, though, I wanted to give a shout out to the fine folks at Built and especially their brand new product, Built Go. If you have listened to this podcast for a long time by now, you know that I'm a big fan of their built bars, which are protein bars with a dark chocolate exterior and a soft, chewy interior. They're always looking to change things up and innovate, though, and now they have a brand new wall busting kick of energy to get your day going. Whether you need to kick down those physical or mental walls, Bilco is there for you and can be in convenient 1.5 ounce packages that can fit in your briefcase, your backpack, or anything else you need to get your busy day kicked into high gear. Bilco is the healthy, all natural, great tasting alternative to the sugary energy drink and packs all of the punch of a five-hour energy with none of the crash. Bilco comes in three delicious flavors including peanut butter, honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint and is fortified with protein, beta alanine, B3, honey, caffeine, B6, and B12 so you have long-lasting energy to break down all of those daily walls. To get started kicking your walls down, head on over to bilco.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order during checkout. Again, don't forget to use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at bilco.com. Let's go! Welcome back to this episode of the Lockdown Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are going to continue today's episode talking about the value of Neil Pionk on this team and what exactly he might bring in this upcoming season and whether or not the Jets really need to be keeping him around long term. Before we get any further, though, I did want to let you know that throughout this upcoming week, we probably will have a little bit of season preview content mixed in with our uh, greatest, most creative playmaker series. Now that the announcement of an NHL season resuming is imminent, I thought it might be a good idea to take stock of what the Jets have and what exactly things might look like. We've talked a little bit about what I expect from next year, but maybe things are going to be a little bit different heading over into the next couple of weeks, especially with any sort of firm changes that the NHL does decide to make, and we'll discuss those in detail and whether or not Winnipeg really stands a chance of making noise in this upcoming season. For now though, let's talk a little bit about Neil Pionk, who for me has probably been one of the most polarizing players to wear a Jets uniform over the past several years. And not because he's actually been bad, quite the opposite. Pionk is one of those players who, when he came to the Jets, I was expecting a bit of a train wreck. Obviously, Pionk's sample size wasn't exactly super huge, and with the Rangers, they're not exactly really geared towards catering to young defenders who really need a very supportive environment and a really rigid developmental track. With the Rangers, what I think we saw with Pionk was a lot of creative spark and a lot of offensive potential, but maybe the defensive work just wasn't really there at all. I mean, actually, it didn't exist, period. And so, when he came to the Jets, he was incredibly raw, and I had a lot of concerns about the longevity of his style of play. You know, he's a smaller guy, would he be capable of uh, applying his offensive skill sets to a team that, for the most part, has had trouble moving the puck up the ice uh, using defenders? Pionk has, like, a natural ability to carry the puck up the ice. I wouldn't call him, like, a transition expert necessarily, but he's a lot more fleet of foot and mobile, especially while in possession, than some of the bigger guys like Lucas Abisa. at one point, you know, Ben Sherat a couple of seasons ago, and probably guys like Anthony Potato. There's, like, a lot of depth defenders who have come into this system and not really done particularly well because they're just not mobile, and especially uh, when it comes to being under pressure in their own zone. Pionk, in some ways, has developed a little bit more of a defensive instinct in some areas. I think his decision-making while on the puck near his own net is occasionally a little bit chaotic. I think that he, under pressure, really struggles to find good outlets, and sometimes he makes, like, a really bad decision that leads to an extremely obvious and clear turnover. But for the most part, I think he's done a lot to try and improve his defensive awareness, especially in, like, positional man-marking, zonal awareness when he's trying to, to cover, like, a couple of different routes... I wouldn't say that he's particularly good at any of it, but I would say that it's at a sufficient level where I think if you give him a more defensive-oriented partner and somebody who can be more of a safety valve, you know, Pionk is probably a pretty fair second-pairing D-man. I think this season uh, we saw from him some pretty okay play. I mean, this is a guy, again, that I didn't really anticipate being somebody that the Jets held onto for any sort of length of time. And I'm still not entirely sure that... I think he's a long-term player for this team, but I think he's been pretty decent, and if the Jets chose to extend him, I think that he brings real value in a couple of different areas. For one thing, offensively speaking, this guy is very good at dropping from a, a higher position and quickly collapsing towards the faceoff circles, which is especially effective when he's wanting to thread a needle and take a shot from uh, you know, a power play point area. Or if he's looking for somebody to try and tip one of his shots into the back of the net on the power play as well. I think there's a couple of different ways that that works. The one thing, of course, that's been the common criticism of him is that he's not particularly great at getting passes out to the left wall, which is Pretty fair, he doesn't really pass to line a with any sort of speed, and naturally, line a's shot has kind of gone away. I did see an interesting discussion that overall, Shifley and Connor have definitely been uh, recipients of a massive increase in power play scoring because overall, while line a's production has dipped on the power play, the rest of the unit seems to be thriving. Part of that is also Wheeler just not really being a, a big power play distributor like he used to be. That, that cross seam passing that was so. I guess, characteristic of this Jets team during the 2017 18 season has seemingly gone away now in favor of, I don't know, a little bit more finishing from Shifley and Connor rather than trying to look for better passing and shooting lanes. Personally, I think I can live with this under certain conditions, and I think the most important one is that. There has to be a way to get Laine more involved on the power play. I think if you're going to have him on that unit, it needs to be more than just a guy who's sort of sitting there. Obviously, Laine could stand to be a little bit more mobile, but uh, you know, by the same token, I think he just needs to get passes at a faster rate. I think Pionk makes a lot of sense as more of like a pure shooter. He's not particularly great at passing to the left side where he's oftentimes not really... Uh, Putting a whole lot of mustard on these passes, I think that that's something that's a very big issue, and it definitely takes Line A out of the equation. While everyone else has definitely seen a bit more production, especially in terms of uh, net front scoring and stuff, I think the fact that line A shot isn't really being factored into it takes away from some of the offensive threat of that top unit. This kind of leaves Pionk in a little bit of a weird spot. I think that there are certain scenarios where he makes a lot of sense on the power play, especially if you want somebody who's like a very direct point shooter, but also has enough stick handling ability and good edge work to kind of skate around the offensive zone and create space. He can do these things even if occasionally he does struggle if like a defending skater tries to pressure him. At even strength, he does also bring that same offensive value and occasionally he can actually be okay tracking back. I wouldn't say that he's particularly great at defending, but he's tried to improve a lot of things and sometimes he does track on to the right threat at the right time. Not often, but enough to where, again, if you pair him with somebody who understands the game, especially defensively speaking you can get away with him. Would I extend him long term? Probably not. I think for me like a, a 3 year deal around 3 to 3.75 million is probably the sweet spot. He might be worth a little bit more. I don't know in terms of how the market sees it. I think a lot of teams are afraid to commit a lot of long term money, but that contract length and the price tag makes a lot of sense for a guy who's still a little bit of an unproven commodity and somebody who I think has to show a little bit more consistency for my uh, personal comfort level and also I think that contract term makes him a really attractive proposition for Seattle. He'd easily be one of their best defenders right off the bat for a team that's probably not going to have a whole lot to choose from. All in all, he's been a pretty reliable second-pairing guy, and I think that's going to be the case moving forward, but I'm just not sure if that's somebody that Winnipeg needs to move heaven and earth to keep around. He's definitely gifted with a puck, but probably not somebody that, again, I would want to see wearing the Jets uniform for an extremely long time. Speaking of players who are extremely gifted with a puck, take a look at some more of the league's top most creative playmakers. But before then, I thought you should hear about the relaunch of the fabulous Built Bar, which, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, I'm a big fan of. If you don't recall, it's a protein bar that's more like a candy bar with a dark chocolate exterior and a soft chewy interior. Of their 12 OG flavors, I highly recommend trying raspberry and mint brownie. I think they are perfect introductions to what Built Bar is all about. They're my personal picks and super delicious, but if you want a bit more variety, be sure to check out their sampler box so you can find your personal favorite too. Built Bar isn't just content to rest on its laurels, though, in his back, and better than ever with a brand new formula and six new flavors. Joining the lineup is caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, and apple almond crisp. If those flavors make your mouth water, then you're going to love hearing that they're also really great for you. With most Bilt Bars clocking in at 200 calories or less, between 50 to 19 grams of protein, and between 4 and 5 grams of net carbs. Bilt Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, and high in fiber, so they're perfect for keto diets as well as weight loss and weight maintenance programs. To get started, go to BiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get 20% off your next order when checking out. Again, don't forget, use promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BiltBar.com. Welcome back to this special episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. Thank you for listening, and I hope you guys have enjoyed tonight's episode. We are going to be closing out tonight with a brief continuation of our Most Creative playmaker series. We are going to be covering one player from the Chicago Blackhawks because that team doesn't have a whole lot of talent that hasn't already been talked about um, ad infinitum at this point. The core is pretty old. But there's one guy on the roster who I think tends to stand out a lot for me and also for Jets fans who feels like a little bit of a lost opportunity because I believe he was the year of the Logan Stanley draft and had the Jets not traded up for Stanley, this player likely would have been available to them at that pick and that player is Alex Dobrynkin. Alex is one of those players who just seems to be in all of the right most dangerous spots at all times. The diminutive forward is extremely smart. This guy just seems to understand space at a very intimate level, which allows him to find very soft coverages and then exploit them with a beautiful seeing eye pass, a great little stick handling situation, a nice deke, a really fast acceleration, whatever tools Debrinket wants to use against you, he can. He's very comfortable being like a two way siege of offense, and this is something that I think really defines his game. He can really be great when he's closing the gap towards the net, but he's also very comfortable setting up his teammates, too. His vision and understanding of space allows him to attack goalies from all sorts of angles and really break down defenders using all of his game breaking abilities. I think Debrinket's one of those guys who, if he had come to Winnipeg, he would have been a superstar. As it is, he already is a superstar playing for the Chicago Blackhawks, but You know, DeBrinket might have been one of Winnipeg's three best forwards had he joined the Jets. He would have been a a franchise-changing option for this team, and maybe, you know, I don't know if he would have been a difference maker as far as the Jets winning a cup, but he certainly would have been part of that core and somebody Winnipeg could have counted on for years to come. When you look at that team that he plays for now, Chicago's definitely aging out, and I still have a little bit of a flame for a guy like Jonathan Taves. I think Taves is definitely on the wrong side of 30 at this point, and he's only going to slow down as time continues to go on. But even then, at his age, he's still a really good high-octane two-way center. I'm not going to cover him in, like, superb detail, but I think he's someone who tends to go a little bit under the radar because he's definitely old, his contract is something of an anchor, and he's definitely not what a lot of people thought he was for a long time, which is somebody on the level of, like like, a Nathan McKinnon. I think more comfortably, he's kind of where Shifley is now, except, you know, when these guys were in their primes, they were really good at impacting both ends of the ice. You know, Taves was super dominant offensively and defensively, but maybe not somebody who put up, like, video game numbers at a level of, like, a Nathan McKinnon. I think in a lot of ways, his ability to control the game was maybe overstated a bit, but even still, he played like an elite first-line center who just didn't quite have the counting stats to match up. But looking at the historical data, his his, you know, play-driving ability and his defensive back-checking and stuff, all of these had a pretty significant impact on his shot differentials, which, for the most part, have always been very good. I don't know how much he has left in the tank, but seeing a guy like Alex DeBrinckit step up to kind of carry the flame for this franchise is definitely going to be a major step. They're definitely picking up a number of talented young players, too, unless, of course, Stan Bowman, Stan Bowman's and does something else really stupid, but for the most part, I, I tend to like their drafting selections. I think they've made some good picks. If they continue to pick up guys like Alex De brink it and maybe find another Jonathan Taves one day. Who knows? Maybe their future won't be so grim. If you think there's a Blackhawk who maybe I should cover on the next episode, be sure to let me know at Loco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. That's going to do it for tonight's episode, though. As always, I thank you so much for listening. And before you log off, be sure to check out Locked On Bets, the only podcast you need for all the best betting lines and analysis in sports. They're super knowledgeable and will help give you the tools to make the best bets at the best times. Make sure you're following Locked On Bets on your favorite podcasting platform of choice. As always, thank you so much, have a great night, and go Jets go!